Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Lord God, we are weak and needy, and we need you to feed us and sustain us. Please, would you work your power through my words now? Let what is helpful remain. Let what is mistaken be forgotten. Please lift up the name of the Lord Jesus now. Amen. It is a terrible thing to be trapped and a wonderful thing to be set free. Captivity comes in many different forms. As we speak, thousands of people are trapped under collapsed buildings in Turkey and Syria after the devastating earthquakes. We'll pray for them later on. Amidst those stories of heartbreak are the occasional reports of moments of joy when someone is freed from the rubble and pulled out alive. Others around the world are trapped by the schemes of wicked people, victims of human trafficking who are economically or sexually exploited, people who are taken hostage by terrorists or kidnapped by criminals. It's possible to be trapped financially, maybe with a crippling debt that's fallen on you, or with a large mortgage on the family home and interest rates that keep on rising and rising. It's possible to be trapped in a job that is killing you, but you can't afford to quit. This morning, what do you feel like you need to be set free from? It's a terrible thing to be trapped and a wonderful thing to be set free. Last year, American basketballer Brittany Griner spent 294 days in a Russian prison. She was released in a prisoner swap with a Russian arms dealer late last year. American engineer Matt Frerich was abducted in Afghanistan in Kabul in January 2020 and held hostage by the Taliban for two years. He was released in September last year in a prisoner swap with the Taliban drug lord. How do you think each of them felt when they first stepped back onto American soil? It's a terrible thing to be trapped and a wonderful thing to be set free. As we've been reading Mark's Gospel over these last few weeks, we've been following Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem and he has announced at several points that when he gets to Jerusalem, he is going to be put to death. We heard that prediction once again at the start of today's reading. But in the middle of today's reading, we have an incredibly important sentence. It's an incredibly important sentence because this is where Jesus explains why he is going to die. What's the purpose of his death? What's it going to achieve? And he explains that his death is going to achieve freedom. The key verse is Mark 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wonder what pops into your mind when you hear that word, ransom. For some reason for me, it's movies set in South America. If you're an IT person, you might immediately think of ransomware 
or dealing with hackers like the ones who attacked Optus or Medibank last year. In the Bible, ransom is the same thing as redemption. Redeem and ransom, same root word. And the key idea behind both of them is freedom. To ransom or to redeem is to set somebody free. And today I want to ponder this freedom that Jesus brings. I want us to soak in it. I want us to understand it. I want us to treasure it. We look together today at what Jesus frees us from, how he sets us free, how we access that freedom, and how we live out that freedom. So to start off with, what does Jesus set us free from? The Bible's actually got two answers to this, two related answers. We can look at the big picture and see that Jesus frees us from cosmic powers that oppress the human race. The Old Testament uses the word ransom to capture this kind of idea. Last year we studied Exodus, and near the beginning of Exodus we heard the Lord promise his people that he would rescue them from oppression in Egypt. He says he's going to free them from slavery, he's going to redeem or ransom them with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And in the New Testament we find that Jesus rescues people from an oppressor. Jesus rescues people from the cosmic forces of evil, sin and death. We see this in the Gospels as Jesus casts out demons and (laughs) with the noise like that maybe. He casts out demons, he heals the sick, he raises the dead. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus came to break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Colossians 2 says that Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The book of Romans talks about how in Christ we've been set free from slavery to sin and death. Sin and death are portrayed there as forces which have taken us captive. And Jesus sets us free from all these forces of oppression. But there's more to it than that. Something deeper, actually. Because as human beings, we are not just trapped by forces outside us. We are also trapped by things within ourselves. By our own failures, which leave us guilty before God. And the Old Testament also shows us how the idea of ransom applies to that. Last year in our Exodus series, we spent some time looking at the covenant code. Do you remember the few chapters of really quite strange and very detailed laws about how ancient Israel were to do their business? In Exodus 21, there's a law about dangerous animals. And it says, if an ox gores somebody to to death, but that ox had never been aggressive before, then it's just an accident, nobody's to blame. But if you've got an ox that is known to be dangerous and aggressive, but you don't keep it tied up and it goes off and kills a man or a woman, then it says both the beast and the owner are to be sentenced to death. But the guilty person can be spared the death penalty if the victim's family are willing to accept a ransom. Exodus 21 verse 30 says, if a ransom is imposed on him, 
then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed. Now, this guy who's left his dangerous ox at large, he's not been trapped by forces outside himself. He's been trapped by his own guilt and negligence. He's trapped in a death sentence by his own failures. But the ransom sets him free from his own guilt and the penalty that goes with it. And this helps us a bit understand the ransom that Jesus pays. Because you and I are not just innocent victims of the forces of evil. We are also guilty criminals, all of us. All of us have committed the crime of rejecting the God who made us. We've all been criminally negligent in loving our neighbours as ourselves and caring for the world that God gave us. We all stand condemned for setting ourselves up as illegitimate rules of the universe. But Jesus sets us free from that condemnation that we've brought on ourselves. That's why Colossians 1 says that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Ephesians 1 says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, are you with me so far? What does Jesus free us from? He ransoms us both from the powers of evil that stand against us and from our own failures and the guilt we bring on ourselves. But how? How can the death of one man 2,000 years ago set us free? Let's look again at that special verse, Mark 10, verse 45. So far, we've been focusing on that one word, ransom. Let's look at the words around it. It says, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that English word for, it can mean a lot of different things. If somebody gives me $50 for my kids, it means my kids are the recipients of a generous gift. If somebody gives me $50 for my car, that means something quite different means my car is being exchanged for a paltry sum of money. must be something wrong with it. We have to work out from the context that my children are not being sold and my car is not receiving a gift. The English word is very flexible. But in Mark 10.45, in the original language when it says for, it's actually translating a Greek word with a very specific meaning. It's a Greek word that means in the place of. It's not saying that Jesus gave his life on behalf of many or for the benefit of many. Those things are true. But what this sentence is saying is that Jesus serves by giving his life in the place of many. When Jesus first said this sentence, the Jewish people who were listening would immediately have spotted a connection to the Old Testament scriptures. There'd be bells ringing for them. They knew their Hebrew Bibles. They knew the book of Isaiah. And Jesus' words would have reminded them of the famous chapter that we read earlier, Isaiah 53. It's a section where God is describing a slightly mysterious figure called the servant of the Lord. There's one link, right? Servant, serve. And at the end of chapter 53, God says this. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he'll divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life 
unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the picture in the background when Jesus says he's come to give his life as a ransom in the place of many. Jesus is the righteous servant who does not deserve death. He's done nothing death-worthy whatsoever. But he suffers death anyway in our place. He gives his life. He pours it out in the place of many. He bears our sins. So our penalty has been paid by him and we are set free. Free from our guilt before God and therefore free from the powers of evil which no longer have a claim over us. This is great news. So far we've really only thought about one verse. Mark 10 verse 45. It's an important verse but we should zoom out a little bit. Because uh, in Mark 10, this super important verse is sandwiched between two stories about people asking Jesus for something. And those surrounding stories are going to show us how to access the freedom that Jesus brings and how to live out the freedom that Jesus brings. Freedom only makes a difference if you access it, if you receive it for yourself. It's no use if you're being held hostage and the SWAT team comes and breaks down the door and opens it for you, but you refuse to stand up and walk out. It's no use if you're going broke, but then a generous creditor offers to write off all your debt, but you refuse to sign the paperwork. Freedom's only useful if you access it for yourself. How do we access the freedom that Jesus brings? Mark shows us this through the story that ends this chapter. Have a look at verse 46 onwards. Mark 10, verse 46, begins the story of this guy, Bartimaeus, who is blind, but not blind. He can't see his hand in front of his face, but he's got laser-sharp vision about Jesus and the freedom that he brings. Bartimaeus discovers that Jesus of Nazareth is walking nearby, and he calls out to him, Jesus of Nazareth, help me! Except that's not the word he uses, is it? What does he actually shout out again and again? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is the way of recognising that Jesus is king. David had been the great king centuries before. A son of David had been promised who'd be the great king to come. Bartimaeus recognises Jesus is that king. Bartimaeus knows that he needs help from this Jesus and that he has no right to demand it. And so he calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus sends his disciples to bring this blind man to him. Verse 50 says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. This man's cloak was probably his most valuable and most vital possession. It was his source of shelter and protection. And he's blind, so he's not easily going to go and find it again. 
Last week we saw a rich man who was unable to leave behind his riches to follow Jesus. But this blind beggar leaves all he has to walk up to Jesus. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus replies, I want to see. He recognises that he has a need. He needs to be set free from his blindness. And Jesus is the one who can do it. In response, Jesus says to him, your faith has healed you. He received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Blind Bartimaeus shows us what it looks like to access the freedom that Jesus brings. This freedom is accessed by faith. He shows us that faith is not just holding certain ideas in your head. It's acting in trust of Jesus. We can see here that this faith, this trust involves admitting your need, realising that you're not okay on your own, realising that you're trapped and powerless and you need Jesus to free you. We can see here that this faith includes recognising Jesus as king, pledging allegiance to him as the rightful ruler of your life. And we can see here that faith comes at a cost. It involves leaving behind other sources of security in order to approach Jesus for healing. Entrusting yourself to Jesus as king, that's the way you access the freedom that he brings. The freedom he brings is the freedom of living in his perfect kingdom. Jesus is not interested in doling out a freedom that means you just wander off into the sunset to ignore him for the rest of your life. That's not how it works. Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, gives us a super clear picture of faith in Jesus, which is the way to access the freedom that Jesus brings. And today I want to ask you, if you have done what that blind man did, maybe today is the day for you, for the first time, To admit your need to Jesus. To recognise his royal authority. To leave your old life behind to follow him and experience true freedom. Maybe today's the day. You might have noticed that when Jesus says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? It's actually not the first time he's asked somebody that question in this chapter. The question is asked twice. And the first time is right back at the beginning of what we read today. Under very different circumstances. Let's have a quick look at that now. uh, Because that episode shows us something about living out the freedom that Jesus brings. Back in verse 35, near the beginning of today's reading. Two of Jesus' inner circle of disciples, James and John, they approach him and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They're asking for a blank check. Uh, Jesus very wisely probes before promising anything. He says to them, what do you want me to do for you? 
And they reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, to their credit, they've realised that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to rule over the kingdom of God. It's going to be awesome. They're completely confused about what he's been saying about suffering and dying. So they just sort of put that to one side and forgotten about it. There's a glorious kingdom coming and they want the good seats. Let's just notice how different their approach is to blind Bartimaeus. He called out for mercy, but these guys approach with confidence. He begged for healing. They ask for honour and recognition. I'm going to skip over Jesus' initial chat with them, let you discuss that in small groups during the week. Skip down to verse 41, where the rest of the disciples hear what's happened. And they are indignant with James and John. I don't think they're outraged that James and John have made such an inappropriate request. I think they're jealous that James and John thought of it first. We talked a few weeks ago about the worldly pursuit of greatness when we saw the disciples pulling similar tricks back in chapter 9. And they still haven't learned. They're doing it all over again. And so Jesus teaches them something. Verse 42. He says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, those who don't know God, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them, tyrannize them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John assumed that getting to the top meant getting in quickest, pushing other people out of the way. But they're wrong. When you live in the freedom of Jesus' kingdom, that's simply not how greatness works. I always notice how verse 43, Jesus says, not so with you. You probably expect him to say, it should not be that way with you. Don't behave that way. That's not what he says. He just says, it is not that way with you. Amongst the citizens of Jesus' kingdom, in this community that knows the freedom that Jesus brings, that's simply not the way great people behave. People who behave in the worldly great way are actually not great in this kingdom. Jesus shows how truly great people do behave that the mark of greatness is servanthood. And servanthood is how you and I live out the freedom that Jesus has brought us. Living the life of freedom that's given to you by the servant king means living as a citizen of his servant-shaped kingdom. And I'm going to be so bold as to say that if living a servant-shaped life is of no interest to you whatsoever, then you've really not understood and probably not received the freedom that the servant king brings. If you're a Christian person, you belong to this servant king. 
You have been served by him as he's given his life for your freedom. And you need to serve like him, living out that freedom. How can you adopt that posture of a servant this week? Jesus gave up his life to serve others. This week for you, it probably won't come to that. What smaller things will you give up to serve? Jesus was willing to do the dirty work. In your workplace, in your home, in your social circles, what's the dirty work that you could sacrificially take on? as you live out the freedom that the servant king has given you. In the workplace, maybe it's giving up a bit of your lunchtime to wash the dishes in the office kitchen. Seems trivial, but that is a mark of greatness. Maybe it's giving up some of your billable time to sort out some fiddly admin that helps others do their jobs more easily. That's service. That's a mark of greatness. If you're married, maybe it's giving up some of your personal hobby time to listen to your spouse debrief about their rotten day. That's a mark of greatness. Now, these are all mild examples. This week, you might get the opportunity to do something bigger. You might get the opportunity to lay down some serious cash to help out someone who's in trouble. You might get the chance to give up days or weeks of your time, blow your annual leave to be a servant to someone who needs help. Maybe you'll have the opportunity to become a full-time carer for someone who's unwell or aged. That is a true mark of greatness amongst those who know the freedom that Jesus brings. Jesus came to bring us freedom. And today we've thought about what he sets us free from. We've seen how he sets us free. We've thought about how to access that freedom. All of this knowledge is only useful if it helps us to experience that freedom, to treasure that freedom, to live out that freedom as humble servants. So, brothers and sisters, let's follow in the footsteps of our King who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.